This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by the Shift Career Summit on June 17th. We're bringing together some of the biggest names in the world of work to help you take control of your career. The event is completely free and you can register today at shiftdigitalcareers.com. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is Cyril Bouquet. He's the author of Alien Thinking, The Unconventional Path to Breakthrough Ideas. During this past year, we've heard a lot about unprecedented disruption and pivoting. So I wanted to know, how do people come up with truly original ideas? How do they foster creativity, especially under stress? And Cyril told me the answer is to think outside of the box using an alien framework. I love this conversation because it really taught me so much about creativity and different ways of looking at the world. So if you're looking to shake things up in 2021, well, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Cyril Bouquet. Hi, Cyril. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lori. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure to have you. Listen, you're a big thinker and a friend of the show through our dear friend, Esmond Harmsworth. So I'm lucky to have you. And to get started, why don't you tell us who you are and what you're all about? Sure. I'm French and Canadian, which means that I've also spent uh, my life in very different countries around the world. And today I'm actually a professor of innovation and strategy at the IMD Business School. It's a school that is based in Switzerland, Lausanne, not too far from Lake Geneva. And in fact, I have a great privilege of working with real executives who face interesting challenges in a world that is changing fast. And they try to find ways to bring progress to this world. And somehow they come to IMD so that we can work together on, on this reinvention journey. Are the executives as interesting as their challenges? Always. You know, that's the beauty of our jobs. I mean, I go to work and I meet people who've accomplished a great deal often and who also have uh, rich positions in companies that help them to do a, a big difference, right, to the people around them and to the world that we live in. And they all come with unique stories and interesting journeys. And I learn every day from them. And that's what fuels my interest, my research. I write about them. I talk about them. And I love to get to discover new perspectives every day. Well, we know one another because you have published a fantastic book. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's based on the experience that the colleagues and myself have had at IMD over the years. I mean, I've been there for about 13 years now. I cannot believe it's been that long. And worked with hundreds of companies and, and thousands of executives who are facing interesting challenges in their industries and we've learned a great deal and we've seen things that work and we've also seen a lot of struggles. People spend a lot of time and effort uh, trying to improve what exists and sometimes they succeed, sometimes they have more difficulty and we've come to the realization that if you really want to give yourself a chance to innovate and come up with creative ideas, you've got to think a little bit like an alien. Right, to get rid of all the assumptions and the baggage that you typically bring to any situation that you face and see the world with fresh eyes. So, Cyril, the book is called Alien Thinking, The Unconventional Path to Breakthrough Ideas. And I just wonder, can you tell us what it means to think like an alien? We believe that great innovators indeed think like an alien. When an alien comes to the earth, it sees the world with fresh eyes. It's not constrained by all the assumptions, the biases that we often bring to a situation. And so, of course, we could have said, you have to think like an 
outsider, you've got to think like a beginner, like a child. But we chose the metaphor alien because it's also an acronym. It's also a set of tactics that people can use to give themselves a chance to see things anew. An alien stands out for five letters that somehow you've got to keep in mind when you go on the journey where you're trying to reinvent the world as it exists and you face you know, important problems in your life because it's not just for business, it's for any situation that you face in your life. Then you can use those five letters, those five strategies to give yourself a chance to come up with truly different ideas. Well, why don't you take us through the acronym, those five letters, what they stand for and what they mean in the real world? Yeah, sure. So in fact, A stands for attention. And attention is really about switching your focus, if you will, to see the world from different angles so that you can notice different things. One company that we studied, uh, an interesting situation, Kellogg was trying to develop a new type of food diet for kids. And so, of course, they talked to all the usual suspects. They talked to parents. They talked to the teachers, the nutritionists. They talked to the kids themselves. But nothing was working, right? They kept hearing the same things over and over again. And then they started talking to the janitors at school. And you know what's interesting is that it turns out the janitors knew exactly what the kids were eating, what was being traded on the school lunch black market, what was being thrown away. The janitors walk through the school corridors. They are present during school recess. They notice the things that nobody else sees, but no one asked them their opinions before. So alien thinkers, they would talk to the janitors, they would pay attention to those insights because they understand the value of connecting with those diverse sets of perspectives, if you will. I find it so fascinating that someone came up with the idea to talk to janitors. And I wonder, is that part of working at your university that you brought that to the table? Is that what you bring as part of your value proposition? Or did some like marketing specialist sitting in Battle Creek, Michigan go, hey, nobody ever listens to me. And I would like to talk to the janitors. Like who comes up with that idea? And how hard is it to get an executive to pay attention to their blind spots? Yeah. So a big part of the innovation journey is indeed to think about the set of stakeholder perspectives, if you will, that you need to consider. And so as a business school, we talk with the people who are part of the team of innovators. And then indeed, we start to brainstorm, you know, who could bring a very interesting pair of eyes, right, to this challenge that we face. And of course, as a business school, we would also do our homework and we would bring people that we think they would not actually have connected with naturally by themselves. And so we bring millennials, we bring... Uh, Wait, we don't need from... any more millennials. Come okay. on now. <laughs> yeah, a, a priest, right? A priest who actually will form them to or ask them questions that they had never considered before. We'll bring philosophers, we'll bring sociologists, we'll bring uh, psychologists. Sometimes we bring plumbers or we bring people in the kitchen to talk to chefs. We bring jazz musicians. And so we always, depending on the challenge, we feel that, you know, there might be a set of eyes that are relevant. But in fact, we use that as an excuse, if you will, to say now, are we really looking at the right perspectives, right? Are there other people that we should talk to that we haven't connected with that could inform and enrich our understanding? So we try to force them to switch switch focus. That's our role to provoke their thinking. Well, it's really interesting because you wrote this book so that people would pay attention to that first A, their pay attention to attention. And I think that's really important because many of us will never have the opportunity to work with consultants, work with professors. And yet it's so important to step out of your own experience and look around. So I'm really glad that you started with attention and brought that to our attention. That's kind of cool. Let's talk about the next letter. Give it to us. Sure. The next letter is L, right? And L stands for levitation. In fact, retreating from the 
world, right? So it's about stopping to pay attention. And so this involves taking timeouts as they do in sports, in fact, right? When things don't work out and, and you need to reflect and pause and maybe envision a different way of proceeding into the future. But sometimes also taking time off to recharge your batteries. Adrian Ferrer, I don't know if you know him, or uh, is the famous chef who, who created El Bulli. Uh, for five years in a row, the restaurant was elected as the best restaurant in the world. And Adrian Ferrer used to close his business six months every year. And according to him, to achieve the peace and quiet that he needed to refresh his creative approach. So of course, that's an extreme example. You know, none of us can afford that. We cannot close the shop or, you know, stop working. But there's many other moments that we can preserve for pause, for reflection. Because Laurie, the neuroscience is pretty clear. Our brains need to be given the time, the mental space that is required to reflect and create. And often we don't take that time. We are busy, right? We're on the treadmill. There's always something to be done. And innovation in particular is often portrayed as a race when in fact we need to preserve those moments for our brains to make connections between what we've observed, what we've learned, and imagine the future in new and interesting ways. I think it's interesting that you chose the word levitation because the conventional way of interpreting that word is to float above things, right? To be above it in a almost spiritual way. So did you consider that interpretation of the word as well when you chose it? Yes. And in fact, you know, we felt that most people who talked about innovation, you know, fail to connect. In leadership, we understand the importance of mindfulness, of gaining perspective. And indeed, all civilizations, if you go also, you know, connect uh, in different ways to uh, the Japanese people and friends that I have, you know, talk about the importance of Ma, which is that if you want to create something new, you've got to let enough space for the light, if you will, to come in. And they imply that principle in architecture and, of course, in education as well. And so we wanted to bring Ma also to the field of innovation and create that space because we felt that people are always on, on the pressure. Well, we talked about pressure as a good thing, but if you don't want to simply be incremental in the way you think about innovation, you know, you need time and you need the space. That's really lovely. Well, tell Tell us about the next letter, I. And so the I stands for imagination. And for us, imagination is nothing mystical. Often, you know, we have organizations who want their people to take personality tests because, in fact, you can measure something that is called imagination. But, you know, imagination is a skill that is developed with practice and sometimes that is lost uh, by people. For us, imagination is, in fact, all about playing with ideas, a little bit like what kids do. You don't always know what you're doing at first. You have an intuition on the future and you try things out and your creativity is evolving in a very dynamic way. So it's about playing with ideas. It's also about connecting the dots, right, in new and and creative ways. I'm so struck by this. Every time I hear that imagination is a skill, it always moves me because I think there's just this default assumption that imagination is two sides of the same coin of creativity and you're either born with it or you're not. And I don't believe that. And yet I forget that all the time. That's what we hear all the time. There's a lot of people who present this sort of talent that some of us have and the rest of us don't have. Like there's a creative type or the, this DNA, right? The creative genius. And people think about Steve Jobs and Richard Branson and all the wonderful artists that have, you know, filled our lives with those wonderful inventions. But our clear experience is that it's not the case. All kids are creative. All kids are imaginative because they are not so obsessed with performance. That's how we learn. How we develop something new is by putting things together, seeing what happens, uh, reflecting on what happens, and then evolving our thinking as a result. But when we become adults, obviously we set very high bar for performance. We want to succeed all the time. We know that other people are watching and we stop playing with ideas, right? We want to succeed at all times. The future of work is here and boy, it's full of buzzwords for job seekers. Gig economy, micro learning, the fourth industrial revolution. What does it even mean? That's what I want to know. 
That's why my friend Mary Ellen Slater and I are holding the Shift Career Summit on June 17th. We're bringing together some of the biggest names in the world of work, such as Lindsay Pollock, Minda Hartz, Neil Irwin, and so many other great thinkers who are helping people like you take control of your career. This isn't another boring webinar. When we put together the lineup of the all-stars who are going to help you work at the intersection of purpose and meaning, Mary Ellen and I had one rule, no scrubs. The Shift Career Summit is completely free, and you can register today at shiftdigitalcareers.com. That's shiftdigitalcareers.com, and I'll look forward to seeing you on June 17th. Well, tell us a little bit about experimentation. That's my favorite one of this. So experimentation, you know, is indeed the, the next letter in the acronym. And it's all about testing your ideas quickly and smartly with the goal of improving on, on your thinking, if you will. And what we see is that there's a lot of people who have wonderful ideas and they test them. But clearly what they're after is simply finding the evidence that is going to show that their initial thinking, that the ideas that they've developed, that they really believe in, are correct, right? And so one executive that I've worked with told me, and I thought the sentence was wonderful, if you torture the data long enough, it will confess. Right? I mean, I see all those people around me who come up with great ideas, right? And they do have great ideas. And then they go on this search for evidence because they need support. They need to bring, it could be money, it could be uh, other types of resources that will facilitate their progress. And so they are looking for evidence that confirms that their initial thinking uh, is valid. And of course, when they do that, they stop to learn. And so it might be they still an interesting idea, but it could have been so much better because they were not open to new learning and new discovery. And so we really want to motivate people, if you will, to avoid that trap. We call it the Segway trap. I don't know if you remember Segway. I do remember Segway, but tell us a little bit about that because it's in your book. So Segway, you know, obviously came up with this idea about a new device that would totally transform, in their view, what mobility was all about in a city. And of course, they were so concerned about their IP that they went through a lot of iterations, but everything was based on internal feedback. You know, they talked to their friends. And of course, their friends told them all about the beautiful things that this could be doing, but did not really voice all the serious aspects that they should consider around regulation around uh, how to dif differentiate their value proposition against other competitors. And so by the time they, in fact, asked Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos for feedback, they had fallen in love, if you were, with their ideas. They, they didn't want to listen to the criticism that came. And then, of course, this became a pure commercial flop. And, and I think they stopped the production last year or, or two years ago, and it never reached its alleged potential. You know, I love the Segway example because I think it just exemplifies the, the word that you use, trap, so incredibly well, because many of us are in these high pressure situations where we do feel like our IP is so important or we're on a limited budget and we only have one shot at implementing that one thing, or at least that's what we tell ourselves. And I think about all my friends and, you know, finance or human resources who are trying to implement these things with tight budgets and boards and shareholders who are incredibly cranky and they don't feel like they have room for experimentation. So is that something we tell ourselves? Is that the truth in your estimation of many organizations? Like, how do we navigate in that world? Yeah, it's a very good point, Laurie. And in fact, because as you said, if we believe we have only one shot, then we want to make sure that we succeed and we're hesitant just to play with concepts, right, at an early stage. When in fact, all the successful entrepreneurs and innovators that I've seen, they never have one idea that they believe is their one best shot. They have a portfolio of ideas in their back pocket. And in fact, they are not committed to any of those ideas 
ideas until they start to experiment. And in fact, they commit to those ideas that seem to have traction. They see people reacting in very positive ways. They see support flowing. And so they know that they are onto something that is meaningful, that is relevant, that could make a difference. And then, you know, they start investing more and more of their time, their resources, their money on those concepts where they can see, in fact, that there is traction, that there is evidence that people are willing to embark and support. It reminds me that all attachment is suffering. <laughs> so we talked about an Eastern philosophy. And if you attach yourself to a plan, a program, an idea too early, or just in general, your heart is going to get broken. That's what I see a lot. And you know, it's interesting because I work a lot with designers in my programs. And so when you work with designers, they draw. So instead of developing PowerPoint presentations, we sketch, we, we prototype, you know, very cheap versions of what it is that we're trying to do so that we can get an early feedback. But I've noticed that if the drawing is too beautiful, people fall in love with the drawing. And so in fact, they don't even want to evolve their thinking because they would lose the drawing. It would have to become another drawing. And so it's interesting that even when you remain light, let's not build a PowerPoint, let's just have a drawing. If the drawing is too beautiful, people will become attached to it and they will refuse to throw away the idea if it doesn't work out because they kind of like the drawing. That's really fascinating. I told you it was my favorite one. Well, let's talk about the final letter in your acronym alphabet, which is N for navigation, correct? That's right. N stands for navigation. And this is often the place where sort of people underestimate the difficulty of success. Navigation is all about finding ways to get your solution accepted without getting shot in the process. Because honestly, Laurie, like when you think about alien thinkers and you think about aliens in movies, how often are they portrayed as a good guy? Yeah, never. And they often end up dead and on a slab. <laughs> exactly. And so it's a good metaphor for what happens to creative thinkers in organizations or in life in general. Often we celebrate the success, like Steve Jobs tells us, you know, celebrate the rebels, those who have succeeded. But in fact, when you come up with a truly different idea that is going to challenge the existing paradigm, that is going to force people to think differently and maybe abandon some old routines, the kind of reaction that you get is not one of excitement. Often it's one where you feel that there's a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of criticism also sometimes downright opposition uh, because people, for good reasons, often are trying to protect the status quo. And that's what we have to remember is that when we come up with a creative idea, nobody knows for sure if that creative idea will bring progress to whatever situation exists. So you have developed your thinking yourself as a creative thinker. You have intuitions. You believe in your ideas. But, you know, you need to transmit that passion to other people. And often innovators and creative thinkers underestimate, if you will, the importance of the opposition they will get. And they also overestimate their own capability to convey their sense of mission, if you will. And so we go through the book to a number of examples and tactics that can help people get that support they need and neutralize the threats that could block their progress. I find that so fascinating just even as an author myself, right? It's really easy to buy into the hype of this book is great. I believe in the big ideas. People are going to get on board. And you forget that if you put out these big ideas in the world, a lot of people will say, I can't, I'm not interested, or I don't want to, or I don't believe this would work. And I wonder if you felt that way as an author writing about alien thinking. Absolutely. You know, in fact, it started, you know, the first uh, publication that we have around those ideas was in the Harvard Business Review and we were working on the book and of course it took us many years, right? It was a much longer time frame that I had initially expected and at some point I said, you know, let's at least get a short version of those ideas and so we sent the paper to Harvard Business Review and they loved it with one exception. They said, you know, it's fantastic. We want to publish the paper as is but we'll just get rid of this alien thing. Oh my God, the core. <laughs> and, so, and so they published a paper which was fantastic but instead of calling 
the second letter, levitation, in fact, they called it perspective. So it became like apion because they did not want to rely on this metaphor because somehow I think they were disturbed, you know, that maybe levitation was not central enough to the field of business and that alien could evoke you know, all kinds of images in people's minds. That So, you know, you had to sort of believe in your own vision to say, no, I actually believe in the metaphor. I believe in the power of the acronym. And so for the book, that's certainly not something that we wanted to compromise and we pursued. But again, we had to navigate and have conversations around topics that we are not anticipated at first. Amazing. I love it when thinkers, authors, writers drink their own champagne. It's always delightful to hear those stories. Well, tell me about one of your favorite but lesser known alien thinkers. Of course, in the book, we talk about a lot of famous people so that they are stories that people can relate to. And so whether you work in medicine or whether you're an architect or a social entrepreneur, you will find stories that actually resonate with your world. And probably one of my favorite stories is actually coming from a doctor, Billy Fisher Jr. And in fact, that's the opening story of the book. He was a doctor and he was a professor, in fact, at the University of North Carolina in the US. And he was a critical care specialist. And one day he receives a phone call from the World Health Organization saying, Billy, do you mind coming to Geneva to help us on some technical issues? And he said, of course, I'll do that because his father lives in Switzerland. In fact, his father is one of my dear colleagues at IMD. And so, he, you know, he came and just as he arrived, he said, well, Billy, there's a change of plan. We would like you to go to West Africa to fight one of the deadliest Ebola epidemics that has occurred. And of course, you know, as you know, Ebola is a very deadly virus. And he hesitated and he said, I'm not an Ebola expert. I'm a critical care specialist. So what am I going to contribute? And of course, the story that we tell in the book is because he was not an Ebola expert, he was able to think very differently about the situation at hand and come up with a solution to take care of the people who suffered from Ebola that would save lives. And essentially, the solution was not just directed towards the patients themselves, if you will, but how do you work with the families, the local communities, who realize that the moment you put somebody on the quarantine, that's basically a death sentence and you're never going to see the person. And so the families are kind of escaping the quarantine system because they would be be afraid of not being able to say goodbye to their loved ones. And so he managed to convince the World Health Organization and the team of Doctors Beyond Borders that he was working with that there was a different way of doing things. And with very simple steps, he managed to essentially change people's perception of what it meant to send loved ones to the quarantine system. And there are few of, of us like Billy uh, who can master our own fears. So we don't face life and death challenges often in our lives, but we still face insecurities and anxiety, all kinds of negative emotions that we have to be able to master to go on that plane and to go to West Africa or to wherever we can make a difference. And then we have to trust that in us, often, if we are not the experts, we may bring a, a different set of eyes, uh, that, like Billy that can help us to reorganize the way you manage the quarantine and to bring real progress to the world. Really amazing. I love that story. Well, as we wrap up the conversation today, I wonder if you can share one thing you hope the readers will take away from this book. I guess one thing that I hope people will get away from the book is that you should always be confident in your capability to bring progress to the world. Creativity is not a skill that is ingrained in your genetic repertoire, if you will. It's something that you can develop over time. It's like a muscle that you can exercise. And it's a mindset that you need to have with you all the time. Everything that you have is here, right? You have it in your head. You have it with your hands. You can create. And so, of course, you know, the five lenses that we describe in the book can help you to do that. And a lot has to do with your capability to get yourself out of your comfort zone and surround yourself with different ways of thinking, to interact with people who don't think like you and who can expose your views to maybe insights that you would have discarded otherwise. And then there's very concrete tactics that you can use that we develop in the book, which I hope you'll find useful. Well, Sorel, we'll have your book, links, all the good stuff in the show notes. So thanks for being a guest today on Punk Rock HR. Thank you, Laurie, for having me. 
Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. As always, the show notes are where it's at for information, links, resources, and you can find them all at laurierudeman.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget, this episode of Punk Rock HR was sponsored by the Shift Career Summit. That's right, happening on June 17th. It is the place to go to hear from all the experts, no scrubs, to help you take control of your career. Head on over to shiftdigitalcareers.com for more information. That's shiftdigitalcareers.com. And thanks again for listening to this episode of Punk Rock HR. We'll see you next time. <laughs>